0: Well 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 Paul says you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and then in verse 6 he says so then let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be alert and self-controlled. I uh, had a meeting in London last week and enjoyed going back there and seeing again a number of the statues around the great capital and one of them came to mind as I prepared for this talk the statue of Eros uh, in Piccadilly Circus. I guess most of us have seen it, or at least know of it. It was erected in 1893 to commemorate the philanthropic works of Anthony Ashley Cooper, who was the 7th Earl of Shaftesbury. Ashley, as he was known to his friends, I'm not one of his friends, so why I put that in I'm not sure, but he was known to his friends as Ashley, and he was a leading advocate of government action to alleviate the injustices caused by the Industrial Revolution. Notably, he set in motion two acts, one prohibiting the employment of women and children in coal mines in 1842, and another establishing a 10 hour day for factory workers in 1847. Even though he had a hugely privileged upbringing, he worked hard for the underprivileged. And his motivation? Well, he was a deeply committed Christian. He was a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. But more specifically than that, he was motivated by the thought of the return of Christ one day. He famously said these words, I do not believe that I have lived one conscious hour in the last 40 years that was not affected by the expectation of our Lord's return. is that remarkable? I do not believe that I have lived one conscious hour in the last 40 years that was not ex- affected by the expectation of our Lord's return. Anthony Ashley Cooper always had on his mind the, the glorious return of Jesus Christ. I was in Waterstones on Friday, flicking through books looking for Christmas presents. Um, I bought one or two. I didn't buy uh, this particular one that I'm going to quote from, but uh, I read this while I was flicking through. It said, Christians believe that Jesus will return again, and when he does, I imagine we'll reject him again, not this time by killing him on a cross, but by locking him up in a psychiatric ward. Sounds grand, doesn't it? But of course, it's not going to be like that at all. How ignorant the great British public is of the Christian belief of Christ's return. Indeed, how ignorant many Christians are. When Jesus comes back to earth the second time, he will not return as a baby, meek, mild and vulnerable. No, when Jesus returns, he will come in power and authority and in magnificent splendour. There will be no doubt when he comes, he will not be born in the humble surroundings of a Palestinian stable. He will be seen by every human being on this planet and he will be unmistakably known as the Most High God. For as he himself said, he will appear on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now it is that thought of Christ's return when he will be seen to be the undisputed Lord and God of the whole universe that influenced Lord Ashley every day of his adult life. And indeed it should influence every real Christian and, may I say, every human being if they know about this truth. See, do you not think that if the return of Christ was in the mind of those involved in the labour donation scandal of these last weeks, do you not think that some people involved would have acted differently if if one day everything that was ever done came to light and Jesus saw it? Well, of course they would. Do you not think that John Darwin, the canoeist presumed dead for five years, and his wife Anne, who have constructed an elaborate plot feigning death, claiming insurance money, moving to Panama, do you not think that if they had believed that Jesus would return one day and that on that day their actions, along with the actions of everybody who ever lived, would be exposed, do you not think that they would have changed their actions? Now, of course, they have been found out, but they must have thought they weren't going to get found out or they wouldn't have done it. But if they knew that Jesus was going to return one day uh, to make sure that everything was found out, do you think they wouldn't have changed? Of course they would. Do you not think that if little Charlotte grows up to really believe in the imminent return of Christ, that it will not affect her life? Of course it will. It will affect her decisions, her actions, the way she treats others, how she spends her money, how she uses her time. It will affect everything about her, will not it? Now that's the point in these verses in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. The fact of the return of Christ should change the way we live, we read here. And if you're following on the uh, the, uh, outline, then here's the first point. Uh, Know that Jesus is coming. That's what uh, Paul wants his readers to know, to know that Jesus is coming. You see, for the Apostle Paul, the return of Christ was so important that every chapter of this letter ends with it. Now, I know when this letter was first written, there were no chapters and verses, but it is interesting to see how how it is so significant all the way through this letter, the return of Christ. Just to flip back with me to to chapter 1, you'll see the end of every chapter ends with the return of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 10. I'll read from halfway through verse 9. Halfway through verse 9 of chapter 1. They tell how you turn to God from idols to discern the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Look on to chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? The return of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy angels. Now turn over the page to chapter 4, verse 16. You'll see it again. Chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And look at chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's all the way through the letter. The return of Christ was huge and crucial in Paul's thinking and teaching. He had indeed taught the Thessalonians about it, which is why he could write in our passage, chapter 5, verse 1, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. See, Paul had already taught them. And it is remarkable that Paul had taught them about Christ's return. For in Acts chapter 17, and we don't need to turn to it now, But in Acts chapter 17 we discover that Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica before he was chased out of town. So for three Sabbaths we read in Acts chapter 17 verse 2 he went into the synagogue and reasoned with them from the scriptures. Just three weeks of teaching and at the end of it they knew that Jesus would return. Now that has really challenged me. I've been thinking this week as I've been preparing for this if I just had three Sundays to teach you Just three Sundays. What would be the three things that I would teach you? If you'd never heard anything about Jesus, what would be the three core things? I don't think, um, well, maybe I'd teach more than three if I only had three weeks, but I don't think that the return of Christ would be right at the top of my list until I've prepared for this this week. Because you see, the reason Paul taught this is if you really believe that Jesus is going to return in power and glory, and that he could return today, if you really believe that, It will affect the way you live, as I put on the sheet there. It stops procrastination. See, if we really believe Jesus is going to come back, we won't keep putting off important things. You won't put off telling others about Jesus if you think he could come today. You won't put off growing up in your Christian understanding. You won't put off helping those in need. We'll get on and do those things, won't we, if we really believe Jesus is going to return. Secondly, if I may put it this way, it presents us from prostituting ourselves. With the return of Christ in our minds, we won't keep chasing after wrong things and giving our hearts to things that are unhelpful. Watching and reading things that drag me away from Christ. Chasing after things that are frankly a waste of time. And so many of us get bogged down in things that are just a waste of time. And then thirdly, it sorts out our priorities. See, knowing that Jesus is coming back really focuses the mind. Just as at the moment the thought of Christmas is coming makes you and me prioritise. I presume you're prioritising a bit. Because I know Christmas is coming, I've got on with buying presents, writing cards, preparing for Christmas services. Other things have been put on hold. Well, the belief that Jesus is coming will have the same effect. If, like Lord Ashley... Not one conscious hour passes without my being aware of the return of Christ. It will spur me on, won't it, to get my priorities right? Now that, I think, is why Paul made it a priority to teach about it. And why, indeed, we should too. Not because it's an interesting doctrine, not because it's fascinating to think about the end times, but because it will change our living. So, parents here, let me encourage you, teach your children about this truth. Teach them that one day Jesus is going to return in power. Not coming as a baby, but he's going to come down through the clouds in great power and glory. And let me encourage David and Catherine. Teach little Charlotte this. Godparents, teach her this truth. Teach her many truths. But teach her that one day Jesus is going to return so that she'll be ready for him. If you're a home group leader here, let me be, uh, ask you to be sure that your home group know that Jesus. lots of, lots of Christians aren't sure of these truths. Make sure they do know in this Advent season that Jesus is going to return one day. Some of you meet to study the Bible one-to-one, I know, with younger Christians. Make sure they know about this. And if you're leading the Christianity Explored course at the moment, well, make sure that those on the course understand that Jesus is going to return. Now, you might be saying, OK, I need to teach that. What should I teach? Well, we'll teach what Jesus taught. You see, in verses 1-3, to Paul mirrors the teaching of Jesus in in Matthew chapter 24. And I've tried to demonstrate that on on the handout here so you don't have to flip back to Matthew 24. See, in our first reading, we saw uh, A, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, that no one knows about that day or hour. Now, you'll see, that's what Paul teaches in chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. No one knows about that day or hour. Uh, B, Jesus taught that right up to his return, life would go on as normal. So Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And that's what Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, you see just going on, everything's going to go on as normal. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. And then C, Jesus thought that his return will be sudden. Now Matthew chapter 24 verse 43, which I haven't put on the sheet, Jesus said he would come like a thief in the night. And then in verse 44 he said, so you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. And Paul uses that same picture of the thief in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 and those are the things we must teach so let's look at them uh, briefly now A. We don't know the date of Christ's return every once in a while some religious group or other will tell you that they do know when Jesus is going to return Uh, do you remember it uh, in the run up to the millennium right at the end of the 90s particularly 1999 as we headed towards that great moment of the year 2000 people said oh you've got to be ready Jesus is going to return in the year 2000 do you remember that? Jesus has said no one knows why were they guessing when the Jehovah witnesses knock on your door ask them about the two occasions when they have at their group have uh, predicted the return of Christ both dates have come and gone and he's not been here why do people do that because they always do from time to time there is some religious group or another saying that Jesus is going to return but listen no one knows the precise information we have about Christ's return is that we don't know precisely when it's going to be. But we don't need to know in order to be ready for it. You can be ready for things, even if you don't know when they're going to happen. I think of someone I know well who's, uh, whose car exhaust fell off when he was driving along the motorway. And so there he was going along, scraping along the ground, sparks flying everywhere. so he pulled over onto the hard shoulder. Uh, now you need to know about this person that he knows uh, virtually nothing about cars. Uh, But he opened his boot of the car, uh, got out his uh, red safety triangle, positioned it 30 metres back down the hard shoulder. Then he went to the boot of his car and pulled out some overalls that he'd never worn, but he bought them just in case the car broke down. He had a toolbox in the boot of the car that he'd never opened, and uh, he slid himself under the car and removed the section of the exhaust that was dragging on the floor. It sounds more grand than it did. I think he just yanked it off. And if that wasn't impressive enough, when he'd taken off his overalls and put the toolbox back in his car, he pulled out a little bag with an unopened pack of hand wipes and a little container of antibacterial hand-cleaning gel. He was totally prepared for his car to break down. I have taken a slightly different approach. I've joined the RAC. (laughs) Now the point is this, you can be prepared for an event even when you don't know it's coming. That is the case with Christ's return. We don't know the date, but we don't need to, to be ready. Now B, we uh, we do know that people won't believe it's going to happen. See, again, that's what Paul teaches here. People will carry on with their lives right up to the time that Jesus returns. And Jesus said that happened before the flood, in Noah's day. Noah, we're told elsewhere, was a preacher of righteousness. He would have been proclaiming that the flood was coming. And of course he was building an enormous great ark, and people just said, oh no, it's not going to happen. Just carried on as ever they did. That's what Paul says here, you see verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. Now look, you and I know the truth of this. If you're a Christian here, you'll know the truth of this very well. If you tell people as I have that they need to be ready for Jesus' return, they'll look at you as if you're a sandwich short of a picnic. They'll just think you're a bit unhinged. Thought of Jesus coming down through the clouds, what is wrong with you? Might be people here today who are just thinking, what on earth is he going on about? See, the reason being that people look around at the world and think, that's not going to happen. Peace and safety is what they say, verse 3. Everything in this world, especially in this part of the world, seems very secure. We've never had it so good. Uh, despite the warning this week that house prices are falling and that we're facing an economic downturn, we've never had it so good financially and materially, have we? Despite the news this week that we're behind other Western European nations when it comes to cancer survival rates, still it's so much better than it was years ago. Healthcare is more advanced than ever before. We've never had it so good. So we have this sense of peace and safety And we bury our heads in the sand even when we are confronted with two great global threats of global warming and global terrorism. We're told that they are a very real and present danger. But the majority of us don't worry about them, not really. Peace and safety, we say. Most of us, if we believe that global warming will happen at all, live as if it won't actually affect us in our lifetime. And few believe that they'll be personally affected by terrorism I was living in London, when the, right in the West End, when the, uh, when the attacks of 7-7 happened. And uh, I wonder if you remember, a number of the injured victims of the 7-7 attacks said, I never thought it would happen to me. Peace and safety. See, that's verse 3. Now we look around the world and we think, no, no, no everything's going to be all right. And when religious people start talking about Well, the return of Christ down through the clouds. Well, that's never going to happen, is it? There's no danger. Paul says, just when you think there's no danger, then Jesus will return and destruction will come, verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. We don't know the date. We know that people won't believe it's going to happen. And uh, C, we know it will be sudden. See, we're given two pictures of the sudden, sudden nature of the return of Christ. Um, his return will be sudden and unexpected and sudden and unavoidable. Firstly, sudden and unexpected in verse 2. He'll come like a thief in the night. You see it there? It's very easy. The, the picture is simple. Burglars don't tell anyone they're arriving. They don't put a, a calling card through the door telling you that they'll be in the neighbourhood next week. Similarly, Jesus' return will be sudden and unexpected. He's not going to tell you he's coming. Now, secondly, it will be sudden and unavoidable. That's the point at the end of verse 3. Do you see, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Labour pains are inescapable for a pregnant woman. Well, at least they were when Paul wrote, before the days of Caesarean sections and epidurals. From the moment Caroline, my wife, got pregnant with our children, there was no question labour pains would come. They were sudden and unavoidable and very painful. And I've just realised how pastorally insensitive I've been to anybody who's expecting a baby at the moment. But I haven't told you anything you don't know. So with the return of Christ, it will be sudden, it will be unavoidable and it will be very terribly painful for those who are not ready. That's what he says in verse 3. Now that, you see, is what we need to know about the return of Christ. Now let me ask you, if I may, this morning, are you sure of this? Jesus will not return as a baby, but he will come in power and great glory. We we don't know when, but it could be today, and so we need to be ready. Let me ask you, are you ready you know, I dare say you're getting ready for Christmas. Well, of course you should, but you know you put so much effort into that. Will you be ready for this day that is going to come? Will you put as much effort into thinking about whether it's possible that He might come? Are you ready? Which leads to our second point. Paul says to Christians, know that you are ready. See verse four. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Now notice in verse 4, he's writing to brothers, that is committed Christian people. Those who've been, as we've sung about, born again into the new family of Christ. That's what the, uh, the baptism was uh, picturing, wasn't it? As we uh, baptised little Charlotte, uh, it's a picture of uh, the, the, the day that we hope she too will be born again to follow the Lord Jesus, come into his family. And Paul says to Christians, verse 4, we're not in the dark so that Christ's return should surprise us. We know about Christ's coming, that's verses 1 to 3, we're not in the dark about it. But actually he's saying more than that. In verses 4 and 5, it's not just a, a statement about information, it's, just, it's not just you know that this is going to happen, you're not in the dark in that sense, in that unbelievers can know about Christ's return, but they're not ready for it. No, Paul is saying more. He says Christians are not in the dark because we have been transferred into a completely different spiritual realm. We are, verse 5, sons of the light and sons of the day. See, this is not about information but about transformation. It's a statement describing what has happened to the real Christian. It's as if we've been taken out of a dark, damp, underground cellar where we've been living all our lives and we've been transferred into the glorious outdoors where the sun is streaming in. Our standing and status has changed. Now, Do you see how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3? I've put it on the, uh, on the handout here. He says he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. See, we've been transferred from darkness, brought into the light. It's as if before we were Christians we were blindfolded, unable to see. But now the blindfold has been removed and the light is flooding into our eyes and we can see everything as it really is. That is how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, also on the sheet. For God has said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now I know many of us here today will know that experience. That's how it was for me when I became a Christian. For 20 years I'd lived in the dark, but when on the 25th of March, 1983, Jesus walked into my life, suddenly I saw everything differently differently. But unknown to me, at that point, not only was I now seeing things clearly, I had actually been transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God. That's what verse 5 is saying. Your status has changed. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Christians then have been transferred and uh, that is the only way when you've been transferred out of darkness into light that is the only way that you are ready for Christ's return now again let me ask you are you sure you've been transferred into the kingdom of the son of God do you see this passage doesn't ask you are you a good person this passage doesn't ask you are you trying your best it doesn't say do you attend church doesn't even ask if you've understood that Jesus is going to return one day, or if you really believe it, but it asks you, are you in the kingdom of light? Because that is the only way to be sure that you are ready for the return of Christ, that he's going to come one day. And as he could return today, let me urge you, indeed I should be stronger than that, let me plead with you, let me beg you to be ready for Christ's return. Now I dare say that some of you are saying I'm not really sure that I am ready for that day yet. Well let me then say to you before you leave this building will you ask the Lord to transfer you from darkness into light? And if you're not sure then ask him anyway. If you're not sure whether you've done that before ask him to do it today. And for some of you, you'll be saying, well, look, I don't know anything about these things. I'm new to these things. Well, I've got a booklet and I'll have those at the end of the service. Please do take them from me. Take one from me. I'll be at the door. Just grab one of these from me. I won't ask you any questions. It is so important that you know that you're in the light, the kingdom of light and not in the darkness. Know that Jesus is coming. Know that you're ready. Thirdly, live as those who are ready. See, for those of us who are in the light, verse 6, well, we're told to live as as if we're in the light. See, verse 6, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep. See, you are sons of the light and sons of the day, verse 5, so then, live what you are. It's not appropriate, is it, to live in the darkness if we're sons of light and sons of the day. The uh, story this week of the driving conviction of the South Yorkshire Chief Constable uh, Meredith Hughes has been big news, not just because someone's got another speeding conviction, lots of people have got those, it's been big news because you don't expect it of him. It's simply not appropriate for someone who is a policeman and not least of all the once head of road policing to be caught driving at 90 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone. Well, Paul is saying similarly, in the same way, it's not appropriate for Christians who have been transferred into the kingdom of light to be living as if we were still in the dominion of darkness. It's just not appropriate to live that way. That's the point of verses 6 to 8. We're in the light, so, verse 6, let's not live like others. The word others is literally the rest of mankind are in the dark. And you'll see in verses 6 and 7 there's a contrast between Christians and unbelievers. Verse 6, Christians are to be alert or awake, and self-controlled or sober. And Paul says unbelievers are asleep and drunk. Now John Stott in his commentary says that uh, that's what happens at night time. People go to bed or they party and get drunk. Now of course people do other things at night, but you get the point. Darkness induces sleep and drunkenness. And when people are asleep and inebriated, they are inactive and insensitive. And Paul is saying that unbelievers are actually living that way. Not not physically drunk all the time, but of course um, spiritually drunk. And if you've ever tried to talk to people when they're fast asleep and drunk, you'll know you can't get any sense out of them and you can't get any sense into them. Which is why unbelievers are insensitive to the importance of the return of Christ. Now, see, very often when I talk to people about being ready to meet Jesus, I may as well be talking about the weather or the football. In fact, often when I speak about the weather or the football, I get a better response than the other Why? Because people are sleepy to the spiritual things of Jesus Christ and they are drunk on the pleasures of this world. And we will see it this Christmas. I am very excited every time Christmas comes around for all sorts of reasons. One, because I like Christmas and I like giving and getting presents. But I'm also very excited because people come to church at Christmas. And it is a great opportunity and it will happen here next Sunday evening at Carol's By Candlelight. Hundreds of people will come to church who don't normally come and I'm thrilled they come absolutely thrilled they're very very welcome and next Sunday evening we will tell them as best we can how, uh, how important it is to turn to the Lord Jesus we'll spirit spell it out as clearly as possible and you know most of them will miss the point why because most people are engrossed in the trappings and tinsel of Christmas and the, and the issues of this world people are sleepy when it comes to spiritual truth and drunk under the influence of the things of this world That's what verse 7 is saying. But these verses are not so much a comment on the unbeliever but a call for Christians not to be living as if we were in the dominion of darkness. Look at verse 6 again. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. See, let me speak to you if you're a committed Christian here today. Jesus is going to return. You have been transferred into the kingdom of light. So don't live an inappropriate lifestyle. Don't live as if you were in the dark. Don't be sleepy or spiritually drunk. Be alert and sober, end of verse 6. See, it is so easy to be spiritually sleepy. Sleepy in our prayer life and in our Bible reading. I wonder how many of us have been saying to ourselves, I must get back to regular Bible reading or regular prayer times. We've been saying that and yet weeks and months go by and we do nothing about it. We're sleepy. How many of us have been thinking, You know, it's a long time since I really made the effort to speak to others about Jesus Christ. I really should make contact with people. But it doesn't happen and days turn into weeks and weeks become months because we're sleepy. As if spiritually Christians yawn their way through life. Sleepiness overcomes us, as does spiritual drunkenness. We find the world intoxicating. We drink and drink and drink of it until we are insensitive to spiritual things. The films we watch, the books we read, the leisure activities we pursue, as we drink them in, they dull our thinking and we become spiritually inebriated. So Christians get drunk on materialism and Christians get drunk on entertainment and Christians get drunk on the trinkets of life. See, in the way we think, we are too often under the influence of the world rather than the influence of Christ. And this morning, some of us need to be shaken out of our sleep. That's what this has done for me while I've been preparing. We need to be sobered up. And the thought of Christ's return should do that. Jesus' imminent return is a spiritual alarm clock for sleepy Christians and it should act like a couple of spiritual paracetamol for drunk believers since then, verse 8, since then we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. See, Paul says, as he changes the metaphor now from sleepiness to, uh, to, um, uh, to, to, to warfare, he says this is so serious. Darkness is not a passive thing. It envelops us So be an aggressive darkness fighter. Put on the armour. Many Christians live in their pyjamas. Jesus says put on armour, not pyjamas. Put on faith, hope and love. And we know what that means because Paul opened his letter with those things. Faith, hope and love. Turn back with me to chapter 1 verse 3 and you'll see how Paul explains what faith, hope and love will look like. Chapter 1, verse 3. You see there, Paul explains, faith produces work, love prompts us to labour, and hope keeps us enduring. Faith, hope, and love. It will result, if we have it, in working, labouring, and enduring. So as we do those things, as we work hard, as we labour, as we endure we will stay awake spiritually. We will remain sober spiritually. We will fight darkness by putting on the spiritual armour of faith, hope and love. Working hard for his kingdom. Labouring when it's tough. Persevering when we feel like giving up. And you see, if you and I do that, work hard for his kingdom, labour when it's tough, persevere when we feel like giving up. If we do that, we will stay awake and we will remain sober. We won't get dragged into all the other things of the world. And the result of that, as we go back to chapter 5, as we close, will be that we will get to know Jesus better. See, chapter 5, verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That's the point that we may live together with him. That's why Jesus died, to bring us in relationship with himself. That is what we are Christians for. That's what life is all about. It's what we have been made for. You may have come here this morning saying, I don't know what life is about. Here's the answer. It's about being in relationship with Jesus Christ. To know and to be known by Jesus. That is where you find life. And that's why we should long for his return. Longing to be with him and finally to be away from all the struggles of this life. And so fourth and very briefly, let's encourage each other to be ready for Christ's return. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. See, let's encourage each other with these truths. After church today, as you say goodbye to people, can I, can I urge you to talk about the return of Christ? Are you ready for it? We could ask each other that. Uh, uh, do, do, have you known these things what don't you understand about the return of Christ let's talk about those things rather than the football I've got good reason to talk about the football today Leeds won 4 nil yesterday I've got good reason but let's forget the football let's talk about the return of Christ let's do it as we meet in our small groups over these next few weeks let's do it, let's do it when we see each other down in the village let's say to each other hey are you ready for the return Encourage each other with the thought of Christ's imminent return. Encouraging each other to live in the light. As we see somebody who's downhearted, say to them, keep going brother, keep going sister, it won't be long before Jesus returns. As we see somebody about to do something they really shouldn't do, we want to say to them, look, come on, Jesus is going to return. That's not a wise thing to do at all. It would spare us on, wouldn't it? We may not be able to say with Lord Ashley that every conscious hour has been affected by the thought of Christ's return but we can help each other by encouraging each other to look forward to that day and as we do that that surely will help us to make the most of the days ahead. Let's pray together.